Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 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 Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steve's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Live from Chicago, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone lines for you at 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood. Also on Snapchat, snapjhood. You follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back guaranteed as we broadcast live. From our first Midwest Bank Studios. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, AMs in my bank account. First Midwest Bank. Bank with momentum. On the program tonight, we will hear from Rashid Davis, former Chicago Bear, as part of Summer of Football. Every night at 8 o'clock on the program, we make sure that we take care of you with football conversation. Sometimes it can be the NFL. Sometimes it can be college football. Sometimes it can be fantasy football. You never know. We roll the dice and we come up with Rasheed Davis, former Bear, getting his thoughts on the upcoming season for the Bears and what's going on with him. We'll hear from him in an hour from now here on ESPN 1000. Also, a three-time NBA champion with the Chicago Bulls, Bulls color analyst Stacey King will be on the program coming up at 8.30 right here on ESPN 1000. I want to get his thoughts about the Bulls. He's been trolled really hard on Twitter. <laughs> He, last couple of days, people coming at Stacy said, "You know who is this Santa Ransky, and then who is this Thaddeus Young? Why aren't the Bulls getting bigger names?" And I, I'm not going to troll him on Twitter. I'll just do it to his face, or at least on the phone, uh, with our interview coming up at 8:30 right here on ESPN 1000. Also, we have one question. You know, sometimes people don't have time for long-form interviews like my conversation with Stacey King or Rasheed Davis, but we do have time for one question. We'll have that for you coming up at 7.50. Plenty of time for your thoughts as well. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. Hope that you enjoyed your Wednesday. Hope that you enjoy your Wednesday night. We're with you here until 9 o'clock, and then it's Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons with uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons right here on ESPN 1000. That starts at 9 o'clock. Uh, for those of you that have been listening, you know, this week it's been um, holiday hours for Under the Hood. We're on until 9 o'clock, and then we'll move forward. Oh, and then a reminder, tomorrow I am working July 4th. I am working the 4th of July, uh, and I will be in for David Kaplan on Kaplan Company. So I'll be on from 9 to noon tomorrow morning. So more on the sports that we love 
more on the entertainment that we love, 9 to noon tomorrow right here on ESPN 1000. Let me start with you with um, the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs before we hit into free agency because we've got a lot to get to before we're done at 9 o'clock tonight. So let me get to the White Sox first. They are starting their second game with a doubleheader over at Guaranteed Rate. But I watched the first game with the White Sox defeating the Detroit Tigers 7-5. to Because today wasn't just a doubleheader for the White Sox. It's Happy Cease Day, as in Dylan Cease Day, over at Guaranteed Rate. And Cease was out there for five innings, four hits, three runs, four walks, six strikeouts, 101 pitches, 61 for strikes, is the RA now as he debuts a robust 5.40. But that's not the story. The story is, is that rebuilds are tough. Whether you are a Blackhawks fan, a Bulls fan, a Cubs and White Sox fan, a Sky fan, a Bears fan, you know rebuilds are tough. Because when you start at the bottom, there's no guarantee for the next year or the following year that your team will be able to succeed. There's been a lot of teams across the sports landscape that have tried to tank. They've tried to hit the reset button and say, you know what, we're going to start over. And when you're a White Sox fan like I am, and you see that the rebuild is tough, it's really tough to endure. Because season after season, you say, well, where are you going? But sometimes you get a little glimpse of the future. And the future doesn't necessarily mean a championship for your favorite team. But a glimpse of the future that's positive, you will take. Like when you see Eloy Jimenez out there, when you see an all-star like James McCann can, yes, he can can, James McCann out there, and when you see Garcia, and when you see Abreu and, and Moncada, when you see players that are veterans and young players alike on this White Sox roster, you say, oh, okay, you know, what if? Those are the two biggest words in entertainment. What if? And so I see the White Sox at 40 and 42 going into game two against Detroit tonight. I see that like you see it. But the one thing that you want is more than just hope. doesn't matter what team you root for. If your team is a bunch of underachievers or you're trying to dig out from the bottom, what you're trying to do is you're trying to put you know, the, the best face on your favorite team. You're hoping that your favorite team will be able to finally break through and be a perennial champion. You're putting the best face on when you see Dylan Cease, but you're like, that's great. Now, what else can the White Sox do? When will the White Sox be able to be a contender in the American League Central? But I thought that Dylan Cease, the one thing I could say about him is that his fastball is crisp. Oh, it's it's very good. It just doesn't have a lot of control to it yet <laughs> because he's such a young guy. His fastball has movement, not all in the strike zone, but his curveball I'm not calling him Burt Blylevin now. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not saying he's Maddox. But I will tell you that the first time around, it was hard for some of the Tigers pitchers to catch up to the curveball. Sometimes the release point looked like a circle change at times. So I thought I was seeing change-ups. I was thought I, I definitely curveballs where some of the hitters were frozen. Like, wow, I mean, his curveball snaps, and, it, and it's really, really good. Again, that's the first time around. The American League has to catch up with Cease to find out what he's really all about. But I will tell you that, uh, based on what I saw, his fastball is strong, but his off-speed stuff is really what attracts me to him. As we talk about the White Sox with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
Let's hear from Dylan Cease. Cease got a chance to talk to the the press after the game. It was it was a good outing for Cease. It wasn't great, but he got his first victory against a big league club like the Detroit Tigers. Let's hear from Dylan Cease. It was a good first start. Um, obviously, the command wasn't uh, the best, but uh, I'll, I'll take it. You know, I'll take a win anytime we can get one. There was a ton of excitement about you. What was it like pitching in front of those fans? They were really into the whole game. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, uh, you know, even when I walked out pregame, there was they were lined up from third base all the way behind uh, behind the bullpen here, and so you know that much energy definitely helps me uh, lock in, and I think it's good for the team. When a guy like yourself he has more than one dominant pitch, and your catcher just says, "Well, let's use some other stuff uh, to get ahead." Uh, pretty reassuring for you at that point? Yeah. Um, thankfully today I was able to throw some off-speed for strikes because my fastball command wasn't, um, you know, wasn't, it wasn't great. But, um, yeah, was, we were able to do that, so it was good. Were you nervous? Butterflies? You know, honestly, I was more excited than nervous. Um, I thought I'd be nervous going into it, but um, definitely more excited. Dylan, you, you probably had a chance to already check your cell phone. Yeah. You know, how many texts or calls you've gotten so far? Yeah, I'm trying to respond to all of them, but they just <laughs> keep coming. They're multiplying. It's a family. Yeah, probably 15, 15, 20 people here. Was it like having Jamie McCann behind the plate, and what advice was he giving you throughout the game? Oh, it was awesome. We talked before the game, and uh, you know, he said, "Hey, for the first couple, just just follow me, and whatever I put down, throw." And I said, "That's perfect. So that's my plan too." Um, so the advice advice he gave was basically enjoy it, and, and uh, you know, if I throw strikes, good things are going to happen. And what we're on talking before the game, uh, wide number eighty four for Jersey. Uh, I, I didn't I'm not really partial to any numbers and I just uh, chose that one. That's it. Yeah. You've said for a while now that you were ready for this. The team's been saying the last few days that this is the time for you. You're ready to go. Yeah. Did this reinforce that today? That belief that you had? Yeah, I think um, especially after you know making adjustments after that first inning and, and getting through five, it gives me a lot of confidence uh, going into the break. The offense picked you up too. Yes. Yeah. It was. Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, first strikeout, was there a exhale on your part? Like, okay, here we are, you know, I'm, this is me, I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely reassuring. Um, I think it, for the most part when I was able to start, uh, you know, not walking guys, it was when I started uh, relaxing a little bit more. Dylan, we talked yeah. to go ahead Saxfest about this, but now that it's reality about being part of a young nucleus, yeah. you're obviously a big part of that. How exciting is it? Because this team is going to further take off. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it really is hard to put into words, the atmosphere. Um, you guys probably heard of banging in the dugout before the game and all that. It's definitely definitely the most fun I've had at, uh, at a baseball field. When, when they decided to bring you up, did they discuss with you the fact that, hey, we don't care about the last couple of outings. We just feel you checked all the boxes and you're, you're ready now. Yeah, there really wasn't too much talk about that even. It was more just, you know, come here and, and execute my pitches and, and uh, learn and grow. And I think, um, you know, they're doing a really good job of, of not making, not putting too much pressure on me with anything. Let me, let me um, get that out there and adjust to things. Is there at any point where you were saying, you know, this is, I feel it's time, you know, even though you're not going to say anything, you were... You felt you were ready. Um, you know, I, I had more of the mindset of uh, keep working on stuff, and you know, I down in AAA I wasn't necessarily dominating, so it was hard for me to look at myself and say, "Hey, you deserve to be here." But uh, I am happy to be here. Dylan, a couple of years ago, you might have thought you were making your debut somewhere else in Chicago. Any yeah. thoughts about that? And are you glad it's working out the way it's working out? Yeah, I, I have no complaints. Um, yeah, if you had told me at the beginning of my career I'd be on the other side. It, Probably wouldn't have believed you, but uh, you know today was definitely incredible. How far was it the celebration afterwards? Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, that celebration, then we got back in the clubhouse and had another celebration. So uh, definitely something I'll never forget. Seems like you were having some conversations with you lead up to it. What was he telling you about in terms of timing something uh, so I came in and I said, my fastball's cut and it looks like a wiffle ball. And I said, uh, you know, what advice you have for me? And he basically just said that, get my direction going towards the plate. And um, I was able to do that and then walk back in. Do you feel like it's more physical adjustments of getting your fastball in line than, you know, coming down from excitement? Of yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I really wasn't, I didn't feel out of control at all. You know, I felt very relaxed and calm. Um, so it was definitely more just physical. Did you expect that at all when you went out to the bullpen and there's like lines and lines? No, I had no. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to act. You know, because you're supposed to be locked in before a game, but it it made me smile. So it was it was great. What are you gonna do with the ball first major like win? Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't have that one. I have the first strikeout. So I don't know, maybe give it to some family. We'll see. How did you feel walking the dugout after that first inning, which was a little up and down, and then yeah. what was the key to settling in the rest of the uh, I felt frustrated because I felt like I just wasted, you know, half my pitches for the start. But uh, I, it wasn't something I, I dwelled on really. It was more of, all right, what do we have to do now to to get through five? How fitting was it that it was Eloy that? <laughs> yeah, um, it was couldn't be any better. You know, after that first inning too, he came up to me and, and gave me some reassuring words too. So, um, you know, great teammate. The thoughts there from Dylan Cease of the Chicago White Sox as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It was a nice debut for Dylan Cease. I look forward to seeing more. Giolito is the number one starter for the Chicago White Sox, the all-star. You're hoping to get something from Cease because it's needed. It's amazing the Sox have this many wins with just one quality starter on the roster. So Cease is definitely a, a person that you enjoy watching and to see how he can grow. The curveball was strong. The fastball, it's going to take some fine-tuning for sure. But it, it gets up there. I saw as high as 101 miles an hour. Uh, on some of the guns uh, on television. So we'll see what happens with Cease. Some thoughts now from Jeff Paston, who covers Major League Baseball for ESPN. Uh, Jeff was talking about um, the White Sox young core, uh, how it could be a contender for years to come. I think that he's going to be a big part of this rotation going forward. And I like the fact that in this year when the White Sox are, are really accelerating the rebuild. I know they're, you know, they're going to be a couple games under 500 if they can lock this thing down. And in all likelihood, they're going to be selling at the deadline. You know, I think Alex Colomay is probably going to be on the move. You could see a couple other pieces here and there. But I, I think the fact that they've gotten some, some really good steps forward from Johan Moncada, uh, and, and Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito and, that we're seeing Dylan Cease here now, you're beginning to understand what the core is going to look like. And the core, to be honest, looks actually pretty darn good. Like, the, you know, someone a couple days ago was asking me, since the Cubs and the Astros, who has actually done a decent job of the full-fledged teardown and build it back up? And my answer was the White Sox. Uh, they they look like they're going to be in a position to be contending in the American League Central for a long time to come with this core that they've got in place. So thoughts there from uh, Jeff Passan. As John Greenberg wrote on The Athletic, 
says Rick Hahn, the general manager of the White Sox, got a lot of credit for his moves to acquire talent in his trades of Chris Sale, Adam Eaton, and Jose Quintana. But baseball people will tell you trading talent veterans for prospects is the easy part. The hard part of a rebuild is the million decisions you have to make in actually constructing a winning team. Han seems to have connected on a few of those moves with this team. McCann looks like a foundational piece, while the organization's reliever uh, earn run, uh, or, or I'm sorry, the uh, the re- organization's reliever ER ward seems to have more orderlies. Aaron Bummer sure looks like he could be effective in the majors. He's talking about Cease and some of the other young players uh, on this roster, especially from the pitching standpoint. And and that line about how the hard part of a rebuild is the million decisions you have to make in actually constructing a winner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you can trade all the veterans you want, but what are you getting back, and how can you cultivate those young players into the system? It's a big question uh, for any team that's going to rebuild. Houston, Chicago, now the, with the Cubs, and now the White Sox. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Oh, by the way, uh, Alonzo. No longer part of the team. Uh, 32 years of age, suffering through the worst hitting of his career. Slash line of 178, 275, 301 with seven homers and 251 plate appearances. Sunk into a, a really deep slump with the White Sox. Uh, no, it, it was time. It, it, we thought that maybe bringing the brother-in-law of Manny Machado and maybe some people like John Jay could entice Manny Machado to come to the White Sox. It didn't work. You can get rid of both of those guys. It's fine. It didn't work. They could have cut him in March. <laughs> as soon as Machado signed with the Padres, you think, okay, since it's not going to work, forget it, right? As you're listening to ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, Under the Hood with John the Hood. So long, Alonzo, and so long, Jay. At any time, if they want to cut John Jay, I'm fine with that. Let me move on to the White Sox. Because Jesse Rogers wrote this about the White Sox. We're going to hear from Jesse at the bottom of the hour with an update on the Cubs and the Pirates. By the way, the, the Cubs took a one nothing lead in this game against the Pirates. It was the first lead they've had in a game since Saturday. It's been a while since the Cubs actually had a lead in a game. They haven't had a one nothing lead or had the advantage in a game since Saturday. So Jesse wrote about the uh, conversations that the Cubs players and Joe Madden and the players have had. First, the players talked it over. Then their manager chimed in. The Cubs are pulling out all the stops and trying to turn around their fortunes before the All-Star break. If the first two games after those meetings are any indication that they may be able to go back to the drawing board again, I mean, hey, the Cubs have lost twice to the Pirates this week by a combined 23-6. to six. Think about that, 23-6. to six. Cubs management were aware the players were getting together and viewed it as a sign that they want to be able to create some kind of spark. Here are two numbers that are alarming. Not just that the Cubs have lost the Pirates 23 to 6, but the other number is the team is 21 and 27 in its past 48 games. Overall, they're 45 and 41, including an eye opening 16 and 25 on the road. Bad. It's underachieving. It's one thing to be over 500 and teeter tottering around the top of the National League Central. But when you are struggling on the road at 16 and 25, things need to change. Now, when we talk about Joe Madden and his meetings, one thing we know about Joe Madden since he's been with the Cubs is that he has his meetings uh, at the beginning of the season, at the All-Star break, and toward the end of the season or in the playoffs. 
So this meeting he had was timely, but it's something that he always scheduled. You know, as much as Theo would like for Joe to change some things, that is something that Joe was not going to change. Middle of the season, he's always had his meetings with the players. So there's some things there that came out of the meeting where Joe was not happy with some of the lackluster play, especially defensively from this ball club, the lack of hitting on this ball club. And so after the meeting he had just a couple of days ago, this is when they got their ass whooped by the Pirates. <laughs> so they, they have this meeting and, and no rah-rah speeches, I guess not enough to influence this ball club to start doing what they need to do. I still believe that this team is not a Tommy LaStella away from being a contender. What they need is to be able to flourish and to be able to reach your expectations offensively. Chris Bryant, Jason Hayward, Rizzo, Contreras, Baez, the core is good enough to be able to get it done. If you need bench help to be able to pull yourself out of trouble, that's a problem. That core should be good enough. Is the pitching good enough? That's another big question. But I think offensively, they should have enough to be able to get it done. Now, of course, as we get close to the 40-man and you're adding more players, sure, that's that's not a problem. But I'm not going to make excuses for a ball club that won over 95 games last year, or 95 last year. They're better than that. So, But they're not playing up to their expectations. Some thoughts now from Jim Bowden, who uh, covers Major League Baseball for ESPN. He gave his views of the Cubs' struggles. I look at the bottom line, which is where are where are you today? You're in second place, you're one game out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the season ended today, you're in the playoffs. So let's take a deep breath and let's look at that. Now, you have to address the last 46 games like you're talking about. You're not playing well. You're not playing at the level where you're going to make the playoffs if you continue along this pace. And so, you know, you got to figure out what are the issues, what are the problems, and how do we fix it? Certainly, the signing of Craig Kimbrell, big step forward as long as he can come back and be the impact closer he was. That was a great first move. Um, but I do think you have to look at the team after playing this way for 46 games and understand it's not an aberration. Certainly the injuries you can't control when Cole Hamels goes down with that oblique injury, and that's a big step back because he would have been an all-star this year. Um, but I, I do think that there are certain things that you can correct, and the three of us have talked about this before. But I do think you need a leadoff hitter that gets on base on a regular basis to create traffic. Now, we had Jed Hoyer on our show the other day, and he talked about how pleased he was with the job Schwarber's done. And I understand the power. That's fine. But you got to get on base. You know, his on-base percentage is under 30%. And I think when you have the kind of hitters with Rizzo and Brian and Baez Contreras, get traffic in front of them, and you'll be surprised how the offense doesn't change a little but it changes dramatically. And that's something you haven't had. When the Cubs won the World Series, Fowler was getting off base 37% of the time. It was a difference maker. So, you know, I tried I tried to um, to ask Jed if he had talked to the Royals about Whit Merrifield. He obviously couldn't answer the question, but, of course, uh, I wanted to get it out there because I wanted to throw it out there with the idea of, hey, here's a guy that can play second. He can play left field. He's a good defender. He gets on base. He hits for power. He steals bags. You know, that's the kind of uh, player, to me, that would fit really nicely on the Cubs team to add to what they have. And then I asked him about Will Smith, the left-handed pitcher with the Giants. Why? Because I'd love to see Smith and Kimbrell in the back end. So I kind of feel like something like those two moves would be the best play going forward. But one thing's for sure, the Cubs are going to have to do something to shake the team up a little bit between now and the July 31st trade deadline. 
some good thoughts there from Jim Bowden from ESPN and also Sirius XM, Major League Baseball Network. He is completely right. You know, we some seam heads, those that follow baseball, say that the leadoff hitter is over overrated. But you still need to have as many players they can give you on base percentage as much as possible. Does Schwarber give you that? Also, in this game today, by the way, the Cubs have decided to play three catchers. Caratini's out there, Bodie's out there, and Wilson Contreras is playing right field. There is no Bryant and there is no Hayward in the lineup. Hayward was banged up a little bit with a hip, so he's not playing today. So they got Wilson Contreras, their almost everyday catcher, playing right field today. We'll see how that works out with the Cubs and the Pirates. Coming up next, I think I know where Kawhi Leonard is going. I'll tell you where. I'm going to connect the dots with that next right here on UTH. Jonathan Hood. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. When I would have asked tomorrow, y'all thought it was Rennie. On ESPN 1000. Maybach music. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. He's shell-shocked, just like you, Darvish. <laughs> That's what I think. I think that's happening. Indeed, the Cubs down 3-2 to two with you, Darvish, on the mound. Boy, when no lead is safe when Darvish is on the mound. Glad you're with me here on ESPN 1000, ESPN app. Oh, you know what? You know, Sean, we got to make this announcement. And we'll just keep reminding people on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood, also on Instagram, igjhood, that just like the music that we're hearing right now, you can be able to uh, subscribe to um, the Under the Hood show, um, audio list the music list that we have here on title if you have a title account look for under the hood with jonathan hood you can hear all the music that we have on our show including the opens you know i get more questions about what what is our open and and some of our opens that we have for our show well subscribe to title look for under the hood with jonathan hood you'll be able to hear our playlist that we have every night uh it it'll make you cooler i will tell you this if you subscribe and play some of your music with the windows rolled down in your neighborhood people will be like wow that guy or that girl's it's pretty cool yeah i mean so so subscribe to under the hood with john the playlist on title glad to have you in today uh we're going to have one question coming up in our next segment let me uh get over to the uh nba if if, because we're gonna hear from stacy king in an hour because i want to get stacy's thoughts about the bulls in the nba but there's some things that um I figured out when it comes to the man that holds the keys to free agency, and that is Kawhi Leonard. Yes, Jimmy Butler has made his move, and you know where Kevin Durant's going, like, and also where uh, so many others have decided to hang their hat. But Kawhi Leonard, here we are on July 3rd, and we still don't know where he wants to go. I think I have an idea of where he's going to go. There's a couple things that are working when it comes to Kawhi Leonard and his agent. Kawhi either is going to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, or the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors is the team he won the NBA championship with. When it comes to the Clippers, here's what I believe. And here's, and again, making some phone calls and just texting people. Doesn't mean that this is what's happening, but there's some theories that have been going back and forth between me and some other people on my phone today. If Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers, that and, and if he decides that's the spot he wants to go and play for Doc Rivers, he wants to make sure that there's other talented players around him with the Clippers. He doesn't want to go in as the man. 
And this is where we are today in the NBA where, yes, you can get a big contract and, yes, you can get uh, to be on a, a really good team. But I think that Kawhi Leonard looks at the landscape of the NBA and says, okay, there's some good players here, but there is no Anobi. There is no Fred Van Vliet. There is no Siakam. I need to have other talented players around me so we can be able to win this thing as quickly as possible. See, there's some impatience there, but there's this this real lust to be able to win uh, an NBA championship. There is this fever to win an NBA championship. And for Kawhi Leonard, he carried a lot of that Toronto Raptors team. It was It's a good team with Lowry and with, uh, with Siakam and so many, and Gasol and so many others, but Leonard had to do a lot of the heavy lifting. This is what great players do. I also, but I also think that he doesn't want to go to the Clippers and just say, okay, here I am as the only new player here. I want to have someone as talented uh, with me if I'm going to the Clippers. So maybe that's Kevin Love. And, and from Cleveland, because you know the Cavs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. They're worse than the Bulls. So I, I think that that's the kind of the stumbling block when it comes to Kawhi and the Clippers. I think he'd like to play there because he's from there. He's got family there. But I think that he's waiting to see what else the Clippers are going to do. When it comes to the Lakers, and I know that they're on Kawhi Watch on, on, at ESPN LA. Because they believe that Kawhi Leonard is going to be the fourth of Kawhi. They believe that Kawhi Leonard is going to go to the Lakers because, oh, why wouldn't you play for the Lakers? Well, there's there's some things you can look at. There are a number of players, high-level players in the league, that don't want to play with LeBron James. And maybe the narrative has changed in that where they don't want to play for LeBron because they would be playing for LeBron. It wasn't a fraudulent slip <laughs> because he is the pseudo-GM. And the other thing is, is that this is an aging LeBron James. It's not LeBron James who was 24, 25. This is not a guy that was in his prime. LeBron has probably another three, maybe four years left uh, of good basketball. So I think that if he plays for the Lakers, he would settle in with Anthony Davis, with LeBron, with Kyle Kuzma. And doesn't still doesn't mean that that's... Uh, enough to be able to be a perennial champion. It gets you close, for sure. But people look at the shiny object when it comes to these NBA free agents, right? They say, oh, well, there's th- two or three players on this team that's very, very talented. That means they're going to M- NBA championship, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that. <laughs> you can put all these players on paper in in Philadelphia, in Toronto, in Boston, all, all these places in in Indiana, in Portland, all these places, all of these uh, all of these uh, teams that have a cluster of quality talent doesn't mean you win the NBA championship. We talk about the NBA with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN app. It doesn't mean that. So I think that when he looks at the Lakers, remember Magic Johnson continues to work behind the scenes, still trying to talk to the family of Kawhi Leonard and trying to. You know, trying to give the big smile and the big sales pitch about playing for the Lakers because it increases your chances of winning an NBA championship. Okay, cool. So, the other side of it is Toronto. Now, he flew back to Toronto, did Kawhi Leonard today. He flew back to Toronto. And I've said the last couple of shows here that I believe that Kawhi Leonard is going to sign a one-year contract one year plus an option, his option to leave if he wants to. Because if he goes to Toronto, 
the team he won a championship with. He knows that team. Gasol's already locked in again. A newbie will be healthy. I know who that player is. He's a very, very young player that didn't get a chance to play because of injury a lot uh, down the stretch uh, for the Toronto Raptors. But there's a great possibility for Kawhi Leonard to say, okay, let me do this one more time, see if we can repeat. That very well could happen. I'm actually banking on Kawhi Leonard returning to Toronto for at least one more year. It's, just, it's, it's interesting that everything's been very quiet. I think Kawhi's waiting on the Clippers. He's waiting on them to see, are you going to add someone else? And if you don't, fine. But you know, when I say that he holds the keys of free agency, you know that he's holding up two teams in Los Angeles, right? Because as all these free agents continue to, to get taken to Dallas and Portland and Sacramento and all these places, the, some of those players could have been on the Clippers and Lakers, but they're waiting on Kawhi. And while they're waiting, they're missing on a lot of talents that could be added to these rosters or trades that could be made. But Kawhi is not given the green light just as of yet. That's why I'm kind of feeling that Toronto is going to be the spot. I think that he's going to be in Toronto for at least one more year. I don't see it for three, four years, but a one year, yes. But I love how Leonard has kept everything quiet. You know, you don't get any leaks. There's nothing coming out of that camp. It's not like when KD was going to New York, meeting with representatives at the boardroom, trying to figure out where he wants to go, and people immediately said, yeah, it's probably going to be the Knicks or the Nets, and it ends up being Brooklyn. With Kawhi, because he's quiet and because his camp is quiet, it's a very, very small circle, so you can't get any information out of there. It's, it's, it's compelling. And Kawhi Leonard with the NBA championship, there he is. And he's, he's got the world by the tail. He can go anywhere he wants to go. And he's being pulled to both Los Angeles' teams and Toronto. I think it's going to be Toronto. Let's go to Jalen Rose, who's on Get Up. He's also sure that Kawhi is going to return to Toronto. As you just saw, Kawhi Leonard is in Toronto. What I'm 99% hearing mm-hmm. is that Kawhi Leonard will be returning to Toronto and signing a two-year contract. Mm. Just completed his eighth season. That's going to put him at 10 years. That puts him in position to get the largest available maximum deal for a player of his tenure. And the wow. timing in all of this is extraordinarily significant. I think that's an important piece of this to make sure everyone is aware of, that that 10th year does increase the value of the Supermax he would then be eligible for. And so, again, this is what you're hearing from people Close to the situation. And if you notice, I've never vacillated because these are the same people that I've been talking to the entire time. And when you hear the reports, especially when you do what we do, it's easy to kind of get off of your square. But I've been consistent. And if you know me, I like to measure twice and cut once. I just dropped the mic. Okay. Very good. So there he was, Jalen Rose, the former Bull, on Get Up, talking about Kawhi Leonard. I agree with him. I think that Kawhi is going to go to Toronto. And one of the reasons why I did not take a vacation uh, for this week is because I want to be around to be able to just be around for all this NBA free agency because it's great radio. It's great drama. It's it's really interesting to see all these names come across. Now, it happened starting on Sunday, but it's still some names that are out there. And we're waiting for the big guy, waiting for Kawhi Leonard to make his decision. So that's why I'm working tomorrow, because if it happens during our show between nine and noon, when I sit in for cap, I want to be on the air for it. Cause that's big news that that really tells you the story about the balance of power 
in the NBA with Kawhi Leonard? Where is he going? To a Western Conference team or an Eastern Conference team? Wherever he goes, that's the team that's one of the favorites for sure to win Larry O'Brien's trophy. And then there's a story about Kevin Durant. I happen to be watching this live this morning. I rarely do this. But I was actually watching um, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman this morning on first take. Because usually I'm catching a podcast or I'm catching clips from Stephen A. and Molly and Max's Twitter or whatever. But I actually was watching all of this live this morning, preparing for the show. And Stephen A. kind of opened up about um, Kevin Durant. Why did Kevin Durant decide to leave Golden State and go to the Brooklyn Nets? Well, there's a disconnect between Durant and head coach of the Warriors, Steve Kerr. Listen. I want to emphasize I have not spoken to Kevin Durant about this. Okay. At all. Okay, Kevin Durant's laying low. Kevin Durant don't want to answer no questions any damn way. He likes to complain when you say something he don't like. You know, you'll hear from him then. But he's not too interested in being quoted in this day and age. And I, um, I have not spoken to him about any of this. But let me just break something down to y'all. He's gone from Golden State. You saw what happened with him and Draymond in that huddle against the Clippers. Draymond basically just said, go to hell. You know, we don't need you. You plan on you out, you out the door any damn way. And and by all accounts with the Golden State Warriors, Draymond Green stepped over the line and was a bit too flagrant with his disrespect towards Kevin Durant. But part of it was because he felt a bit betrayed because he knew that Kevin Durant was on his way out the door. And after they recruited him and showed him love from after he departed from OKC, they thought that they deserved better. His relationship with Steph Curry, they're cool with one another. It's impossible to dislike Steph Curry. He's one of the nicest guys in the world. And, 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 you know, he's got love for KD, but KD knew that he would never be Steph Curry in Golden State. Steph Curry could do no wrong. He was the golden boy. Concessions that are made, things that are, you know, just ignored, whatever. Not that Steph Curry did anything wrong, but Kevin Durant knew that the star treatment that Steph Curry received, he definitely did not think that was reserved for him. One of the other things that hasn't been talked about, Kevin Durant did not have the greatest relationship with Steve Kerr. He wasn't too fond of Steve Kerr at all. I don't know the particulars, but I do know that. Okay, the team was a team. Kevin Durant was a part of the team, but he was his own man. Very independent. People didn't know too much about him. He pretty pretty much isolated himself. So the thoughts there from Stephen A. Smith on first take this morning. And of course, of course, Kevin Durant denies the reports claiming that he told uh, Russell, the whole thing with Russell Westbrook. That's another thing, too. The The whole thing with Russell Westbrook, he completely denies the story that he told Russ he'd return to OKC before joining the Warriors. Uh, Stephen A. says that that's what happened. Durant denies or reports that he claimed that he told Russell Westbrook that he's going to come back to OKC and then change his mind and went to the Warriors. He said that never happened. He's always got his antenna off, doesn't he? Just, just Kleenex soft Kevin Durant between the ears. Soft. Who cares what people say? Just play ball. Just take care of your business. But he's always out there trying to fight the Twitter eggs, always concerned about what the media says. He is so media conscious, it's just amazing. Nobody cares. I'm gonna talk to Stacy King about that coming up at eight thirty. I just I don't get it. Maybe Stacy can help me when it comes to understanding Kevin Durant. I love Kevin Durant. But he can't be concerned about every little thing that's on social media. Who cares? If you're Kevin Durant, you're 
You're bigger than life in the NBA, but yet you continue to wallow in the muck and the mire. Why? It's not, even, it's not that important. It's not that serious. But to him, it's life and death. So some interesting things there coming out of the um, coming out of the NBA. I think Kawhi's going to Toronto. We'll see. That Stephen A. piece is very interesting as well. We always try to come up with one question for one of our guests. We try to find one question that's coming up next. Jonathan Hood. Photo shoot fresh. Looking like wealth. I'm about to call a paparazzi on myself. Uh. On ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hope that you enjoy your 4th of July. You know what we do every night around this time? Listen, some people just don't have time for like long-form conversations with me. They don't have time for long-form interviews. But they do have time for one question. You guys lose this game or did the Jazz win this one? Time for one question. What? With Jonathan Hood. Bro, what are you talking about, man? One. Just one question. Oh, there's one more thing. On ESPN 1000. This one thing that got me tripping. This one thing that got me tripping. This one thing that so made me feel it. This one thing that did that. Welcome to One Question with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. For Under the Hood, glad that you're with us. It is time for One Question. We go through our... Numbers here in my phone, try to find people. Just ask them one question, seeing how they're doing. And I found up oh, Chris Black. Here he is, Chris Black from Black and Abdallah, Sunday mornings at 8 on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app, also working with Cap and Company. Hello, Chris. Hey, Jonathan. Uh, Chris, I have a question for you. Are you ready for one question? I'm ready. Let's go. Chris, if you had to name a face for your NBA franchise to lead you to a title, which one would you choose? A, Kawhi Leonard, B, Anthony Davis, C, Jimmy Butler. Mm, face of the franchise, I would have to go with Kawhi Leonard. Even though he says nothing, he has the best skill set, I think, for the modern NBA. I know a lot of people are probably pretty impressed with what Anthony Davis brings to the table. But Kawhi Leonard has proven that when healthy, he is one of the top three players in the NBA, especially in a perimeter-driven NBA. That's why I would choose Kawhi Leonard over Anthony Davis. And I, I would not put Jimmy Butler in that conversation. I go Kawhi Leonard. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000.